You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. ...to join our very own Ibrahim Badacha, my Ibrahim Ba, uh, who, mashallah, does an excellent piece of uh, journalism, yeah, travel journalism on the slot. Ibrahim Ba, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this beautiful evening, Ba? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah. And... Uh, I'm uh, pleased to be engaging with you and our listeners on Radio Marcus Sahaba by the Kudrat of Allah, of course. It's a lovely evening, and uh, unlike Sunday night when we had a terrific uh, thunderstorm that did such a lot of uh, damage, tonight's a better night, and uh, yeah, it's good to go. No, absolutely. As you said, the, a lot of rains. Every night it's raining. Uh, the ground's getting softer. Mm. I'm wondering about, you know, the bottom and everything, you know, caves in, the roads go down, the trees fall. What about those uh, concrete and the steel structures? How does the soaking rain affect that, uh, Ba? Well, uh, look, uh, it does. Make no mistake. In fact, I saw, uh, what's the name, WhatsApp uh, that was just sent. There was a property, one of these Lani properties in Umslanga. Where the entire front, you know, the driveway as it meets the the road shoulder, gone. It just went away. And the thing is that uh, because of the fact that uh, the uh, power of the water was so great, it just uh, cut away all the sand and thing. And I dare say, I'm not an engineer by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it should have some sort of effect where uh, there's nothing to uh, to uh, how shall I say sustain that massive weight you know and you put in all those uh rebars and everything and go floor by floor by floor that way just uh, uh increases exponentially and if there's nothing underneath to underpin it then obviously something's going to give it will manifest itself in sort of uh, stress cracks and things like that before it might even get worse unless there's some uh, you know uh, maintenance taken uh care of very quickly to try and uh, stop uh, that erosion from having a negative effect and impact on the structure. So, uh, yeah, what you're saying is true, because uh, if you look at the overall total mass that any uh, building ex- exerts on its footprint, it's it's uh, quite phenomenal that the structure still stands on that uh, piece of earth. And uh, if that goes away from underneath it, then it will give. I mean, case in point, if you look at it, the famous uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa, yeah, <laughs> that was one of it. Yeah, but, you know, once you're talking, I can see Japan, you know, when they have these uh, gale force winds, or they call the yeah, tsunamis, yeah. and these are huge structures. You see the water coming in and really getting into the basement. And yeah. then uh, recently on Durban North, I believe, there's uh, rain were coming through and people were wading through in the shopping malls mm. in, uh, you know, uh, really like uh, waterfalls coming through. And yeah. it uh, reminds me of our Durban because our Durban is uh, is land claimed from the harbour area, you know, and all those Quest Street and Smith Street and all these streets. One day, Allahu Alam, you know, I hope it doesn't happen. But it's strange. Our Swingo Beach, you know, we got that crab city there, claimed from the from the lagoon and all these areas that are on the coastal side. It seems as if, uh, you know, I don't know if this is orchestrated, but they always say, hey, global warming. But we know those, those oh, shaitans have got technology where, 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 where they call it global because they uh, they prepared the people to believe that. But they, as a, there's a sinister force. What's your thoughts there, Ba? That's a whole lot of humbug, really. Uh, there's global warming, global cooling, and, and now, conveniently, it's been changed to climate change, right? Uh, if you remember Al Gore and his inconvenient truth, you know, a whole lot of 
I don't want to say it, BS, basically, that was in a book and a movie made out of it, scaring the living daylights out of everyone in America because, you know, they are gullible like you can't imagine. Uh, in 2000, uh, in the year 2001, you won't have any snow. <laughs> what did God do? Hey, he dumped like, I think, five feet of snow on him suddenly. And that brought that to an end. So anyway, it became global warming. Now, because unfortunately for them, you know, Allah is in control as always. And the planet is cooling, is going through a cooling phase. So now they don't know what to do. So they made it climate change. So it's versatile enough to suit any sort of, uh, you know, time frame or agenda. So, yeah, that's what it is. It has been thoroughly debunked by uh, empirical evidence, which they cannot provide to support their own contentions and things like that, and of course their own agenda. Basically, it's this whole uh, World Economic Forum nonsense that they're having this meeting in Davos right now as we speak, where they want to bring us all down to, uh, you know, absolute total serfdom and control us in the way we think and uh, do just about anything. So uh, in my mind, I'm prepared to debate with anyone. That's a whole lot of nonsense, and that's the way it should be treated. Yeah, you can see what's happening in this dunya. The polarization has taken place. Yeah. And the, the one percenters, or they call them even the two percenters, they are running a racket. They're running a mock. But mm. uh, Allah, you know, as you said, uh, ba, uh, a divine uh, decree will bring them, will bring them down. It will humiliate them in such a way when the time happens that they will not have the ability to even put their face out there, even though they are so immune to what people say these days. But you can see for yourself you know, how the people are rising up and they don't trust or believe the lies that these, these people speak anymore. You know, they are not called the empire of lies for nothing. And hats off to Putin for giving them that name, you know, excellent name, it will never get shaken. Yeah, I like what you said there, Ba, and in the smugness, yeah. and they think they're in the, you know, very smug about the whole thing yeah, and they talk absolutely. and they yeah. look at others in a very condescending manner. Anyway, we saw many like that, Ba. And how yes. many we saw went in the cupboard too? Absolutely. I don't know whether it's... I mean, history <laughs> is replete. History is replete with those. Like Pharaoh, for instance, you see his body. Gee. And Edith said, I will preserve it so that it will be a lesson for you when you see it. And how many centuries ago did he get drowned in the Red Sea? And his body is still there for you to see when you go to the museum now in, in Cairo. That you think you are God, I'll show you who's the God. Alhamdulillah, and it's a clear miracle of the Quran saying, there's his body, it's preserved, and you're going and looking at it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know about what uh, really amazed me was, uh, there was the story of Pharaoh, Moses, uh, Musa, alayhi salam. And then, look at it, those, that same group of people had become, like today, Egypt is 90%, 90% Muslim. Mm -hmm. And, you know... That's a miracle indeed, isn't it? People that, oh, look at the Bible and talk about this and that. Yeah. Look at the miracle of the whole thing. Those <laughs> people, descendants of pharaohs, are Muslims today. Your yeah. thoughts there, Ba? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like that case where uh, Rasulullah sallallahu uh, went to Taif, right? And you know what happened there, how they uh, mistreated him and they hurt him so much so that the blood was actually running down his leg to his feet and into his shoes. And uh, Jibrail said that, uh, Rasulullah, if you want, just tell me and I'll make those two mountains crush these people. And what did he say? He said, let them be, because, you know, hopefully that from their descendants, there'll be someone that will, uh, you know, adopt Islam as a religion and creed, and then there'll be people from there who will become Muslims. And look how true it is, how it turned out, despite what they did to him. And he was so merciful to them. And he said, let them be. 
And this is what it is at the end of the day. You know, no, don't fool or don't kid yourself that you are in any way whatsoever, you know, able to refute or deny uh, the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No ways. Wow, that's a, such a lovely story. Let me hug you for that. I enjoyed that. But hey, you're showing, to, you know, you're telling the Muslims to be compassionate, to have mercy, not yeah. to be judgmental and not to shoot the guy, you know, yeah. or hit him uh, when he's down, you put him down. You know, anyway, even they're doing wrong. Make dua, make dua like our Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam made that maybe Allah will give them hidayat. And, you know, you know, you've been to the Holy Lands and now, you know, hey, you're a South African too. They're looking at you very skeptical, <laughs> you know, in a very skeptical manner. Yeah, no more like when, when they, they say, exactly. huh? <laughs> like when you went to, they say, oh, Mandela. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, that. No. Now they say South African. Hey. Mm-hmm. No, 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 please. No, 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 South African. Go go from here. You go to Masjid Al-Aqsa. What's yeah. happening, Ba? How will that affect, uh, uh, you know, going to the Holy Lands and going for uh, to Masjid Al-Aqsa? Well, look, they'll look at us with jaundiced eyes, first of all, right? That will be the, the mildest form of disapproval, right? They'll look down their noses at you and make you wait uh, extra long and, you know, don't give you any let or things like that. Maybe hinder you if they can. Uh, that I'm talking about the Holy Land. Uh, but if you're going to uh, Al-Aqsa, then of course you've got these dogs to contend with over there. And uh, they'll go out of their way to make your life miserable, even more so now that we have had the guts and the gumption and of course the professionalism with which we presented our case that there is no defense to it. They can sit and talk all the bull, bull that they want over there. Nobody will listen to them, not the judges, not anymore. The only problem I have is that... Uh, uh, invariably, this is not based. Uh, it's not a decision that's going to be taken or based on on the evidence that was presented, which is uh, incontrovertible in my opinion. It is going to be politique at the end of the day that's going to hold sway, and uh, who knows if Allah will, the decision will go our way. If not, then uh, it's going to be more of the same, where they're trying to subvert the truth. But invariably, you know that that truth will always manifest itself, even if it's in the minority of one and falsehood will be bound to disappear. So let them do what they want, Ba. At the end of the day, as long as you've got that unshakable and absolute faith and trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing is going to prevail over his power at the end of the day. It may seem that way from time to time for a bit of time, but then again, if we're looking at our earthly time and our earthly years, is but a blink of an, an eye in a heavenly term. So let us be steadfast and uh, let us know that Allah's will will always prevail. So let them do what they want. Absolutely, Ba. And, you know, perhaps uh, thinking deeply, and I'm thinking of you, I can visualize you in the Holy Land. You know, I don't want to call you the dawn, but, uh, <laughs> you know, a true leader there, you know, orchestrating and getting your hujjaj and making them happy, everyone happy with you. Hey, Ibrahim Badacha, that's the man. What are some of the memorable moments here you had there? And what was your best spot in the Holy Land, Zaba? Uh, look, uh, I think, uh, look, Medina will always have a special place in my heart, right? Uh, I know that uh, Mecca is the, the primary and, uh, you know, preeminent uh, place to be. But uh, the peace and tranquility that is so tangible in Medina cannot be matched anywhere. Uh, the best memories I had was, of course, during the five days of Hajj, where you have, uh, you know, uh, people in those crowds. And, uh, you know, Allah makes it possible for in that uh, what I can term it, you know, 
metaphorically as a, a madness. You know, I always saw the five days of Hajj, and of course, this is just my opinion, that uh, this is a little taste of what we, uh, what our souls might experience uh, on the day of resurrection. You know, when they say that you, you will stare with unseeing eyes, and you're, you know, you will not, you will be so shocked out of your wit, you won't know what to happen, and uh, that, uh, you know, that turmoil and everything that prevails during the five days of Hajj, especially when you move out of Arafat, going to Mustalifah. And then finally making your way back to Mina, you know, even though it's like a few kilometers, I think the longest it took us uh, a on the bus with the group. And the thing is, if you've got three or four buses full of them, you cannot just suddenly uh, get off the bus and walk to uh, your camp in Mina. I mean, <laughs> they'll feel uh, abandoned and uh, destitute. So you just had to stick there. And it took us like 13 hours bar, to do that journey, and that in its own self is an ordeal like you cannot, cannot imagine. And uh, that I'm talking about when I was relatively strong and fit and uh, of an age where I could uh, do just about anything that any human being would uh, need to do at the time. And uh, we used to have people that were in wheelchairs, people that were sickly, people that were, you know, of advanced age and have them sit in that sweltering heat and all that sort of thing. And then you'd get off and try and buy some water from the guys on the side of the road and give it to them and and try and help them the best you could. And, uh, you know, I can uh, put down uh, everything that has happened to me in my life, all the good that has happened and accrued to me in my life, uh, down to the fact that some of them made duas for us and that those duas have come true. And, uh, yeah, there are lots and lots of... Uh, anecdotes and uh, incidents that one can recall that will need more time than we have on this program to cover. But I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything in the world. If I had the chance to do it again, I'd definitely do it. Laba, you know what? I'm saying you're very blessed because you're documenting yourself so often on uh, Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'a. Every episode you do is a winner. And there's it. You didn't even have to write your book. They want to know the story of Ibrahim Malacha. They just go into that podcast and they'll look at it. <laughs> and they'll hear you, Ba. They'll hear you. That is uh, the gift Allah has given you. And you richly, you richly deserve that. As we move on, Reunion Islands on high alert as major storm hits. Hey, it's storming all over, Ba. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about this at the opening of the show. And uh, yeah, surprisingly, it is happening all over. But the thing is, uh, I think we have reached that time in the time of man, in Tan, so to speak, you know where all those uh, predictions that there'll be uh, earthquakes and volcanoes and, and, and problems everywhere and storms and, you know, loss of life everywhere on a global scale, you can see it happening in front of our eyes, you know. So let them not talk to you about uh, global warming and uh, climate change or anything. This is uh, the will of Allah that's taking place right now. If they only have the eyes to see it, which they are not, because they... Uh, consigned to be among those who Allah talks about in the Quran as deaf, dumb, and blind. Anyway, getting back to Reunion Island. Uh, in a critical update, uh, the island has been put on high alert as Cyclone, get this name, Bilal, how's that for you, makes landfall, uh, bringing <laughs> extreme winds with it, sometimes up to 250 k's per hour, they, they, they say. And uh, authorities there have issued the highest warning levels with hundreds of thousands confined to their homes. And uh, leave the red alert, a violet alert, signified imminent danger, imposing strict lockdown measures for all 
870,000 residents and maybe some visitors, including emergency services. And of course, uh, residents have been urged to stay in indoors for 36 hours to stock up on supplies, basically be prepared for the worst. And they are predicting that the uh, waves would reach up to 15 meters. Now, that's quite a, quite high. And uh, of course, uh, they've taken all sorts of precautions to make sure they secure all loose objects, uh, flights being suspended into the main airport. And uh, our president of France, Macron or Macron or whatever they care to call him, Macron, emphasizing the severity of the situation. And of course, he also urged everyone to stay at home. And uh, memories of uh, past cyclones, especially Feringa in 1989, of course, uh, brings home these concerns even more so. And uh, like I said, they're expecting wind of anything up to 200, 250 Ks uh, in the highlands as well. And severe threats of uh, flooding and emergency health and accommodation centers have been prepared. And uh, businesses, including all the usual sort of uh, tourist restaurants, nightclubs, etc., cetera, uh, they are sort of battening everything down to try and uh, you know protect themselves and their premises as best they can. And of course, uh, everywhere as you go, there are homeless people. So in St. Dennis, uh, they've relocated the homeless into shelters for their protection. And of course, the situation is uh, in flux, it's dynamic, and they're all waiting in, anticipating, in anticipation of that storm making landfall. So uh, Meteo France, basically, it's like a meteorological uh, center that gives you a report that's French-based. And because uh, the island is still uh, French colony, right? They have highlighted the unpredictable nature of the cyclone and, of course, uh, emphasized the need for vigilance and, of course, uh, safety measures. So, uh, very much in flux, Deba. It's a question of wait and see. Well, brilliant. They're lucky you didn't call him macaroni. Yeah, yeah the French say. Macron. So we'll be giving, be giving macaroni a bad name. <laughs> yeah. I know the French language, macaron. I, I don't know that. Yeah, you, you, you heard what happened recently, right? The uh, new PM, his new prime minister is a gay, right? And he took it upon himself to uh, uh, nominate his partner, the one he sleeps with, right? Uh, as the uh, for new foreign minister. Now, this new guy hasn't held down a job in his life. Now, this is the kind of hmm. that passes for leadership today. But anyway, good luck to them. Let them do what they want. Allah knows what is happening. No, absolutely. As I said, a reunion is a uh, you know captured by the French. So I assume that they they are French bases, the military bases. Oh, but also Mauritius bar. Uh, Mauritius uh, has a, a large contingent of uh, Americans there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know all the personnel, there, bar. Mm-hmm. That's why they so didn't. That's, stand, they, that's why they didn't stand with us in our case at the Hague, because they get told what to do. And if you mm. are, you know, uh, the late. Uh, Henry Kissinger, I'm not going to put out any expletives. I think everyone knows what the devil he was. Uh, he said, and very, very uh, poignant, this uh, saying that if you have America as a friend, uh, no, if you have America as, a, as an enemy, it's dangerous. If you have America as a friend, it's fatal. Now, for him to say something like that, I leave it to the listeners to decide. That if you take America for your friend, what's going to happen? 
Now, this is the case in point that everyone who have kowtowed to the dictates of America and are under their control, they are not their own people. Like they say, you are not your own man. You get told what to say and do, and you just have to toe the line. So there it is, Ba. Yeah, people, beware. To make friends with the Americans, it is known as fatal attraction. Yeah, <laughs> said it. Now, Ba, let's go. SAA, hey, our, hey, the blow, blow for announcer here, SAA kicks okay. off the new year with the return of uh, flights between Johannesburg and Perth, Ba. Mm. Yeah, well, look, it it seems that uh, they are starting to spread their wings again uh, internationally. That was a very, very popular lucrative route for them. Uh, I dare say, I think I flew them, if I'm not mistaken. I can't recall now, it's been so many years and so many times, that uh, it would stop. You could jump off in Perth, see your friends and uh, people that you know, relatives and all that, and go on to Sydney. And uh, the thing is that they are uh, reintroducing that route and... uh, Let's hope uh, that they make a good show of it this time around. And uh, this was introduced, of course, like you said, for 2024. And uh, the resumption of the flights, right? The inaugural flight is scheduled for April the 28th. And bookings have already opened. It's going to be uh, three times a week uh, frequency, uh, leaving from uh, or Tambo in Johannesburg and going directly uh, over the Indian Ocean to uh, Perth International Airport. Now, SAA's, SAA's uh, CEO highlighted that this move aligned with the airline's strategic plans to enhance profitability and leveraging its status as a national carrier with wide-body aircraft for the long haul. And he emphasized the significance of a Perth as a preferred destination, particularly for the South African and Australian travelers visiting family and friends. So that's the market that they are targeting by. It's always, like I said, it has been lucrative in the past. And as you know, many, many of our South African families have gone over. And in fact, I even got relatives over there, family as well, that have been living there all this time. And uh, this will compromise approximately 80% of the target market. So there you go. Okay, and uh, Perth marks the second intercontinental route reopening within six months, uh, following on the successful relaunch of the Sao Paulo route in Brazil in October 31st last year. And uh, SAA now offers a Southern Hemisphere travel package, uh, allowing seamless travel from Perth all the way, uh, you know, going east, uh, going west, sorry, to Sao Paulo from Johannesburg. And uh, of course, the fact that we are I use the Royal Plural, SA is a member of the Global Star Alliance Network. It will facilitate smooth travel for customers with 25 uh, members of this alliance, enhancing trade and cultural exchange, and of course, uh, travel between South Africa and Australia. Uh, Apart from the fact that uh, the flights are going to be numbered 280 and 281 on the way back, Tuesday, Thursdays, and Sundays at 8.55 p.m. All right, departure will arrive the following day at 12 noon or thereabouts, 12.20 uh, in Perth the next day. And, uh, of course, the return will leave there at 2.40 p.m. and reach here the same day, I dare say. Uh, This reopening is expected to provide a direct and convenient passage for both leisure, business, and other travel. So, uh, yeah, I hope they make a success of it this time around, Ba. Well, Ba, you know, on the flight, I don't know, what makes you sleep, Ba? 
You just go off to, you close your eyes and sleep, or you have to do certain rituals before you no, go off to no, sleep. No, no ritual, nothing. The thing is, if it's, if it's nighttime, I sleep. If it's daytime, I try and stay awake because uh, there's nothing worse than, you know, uh, changing your clock around only to hit the deck there and be suffering from a severe case of jet lag where you want to go into a meeting and, you know, you feel bad because you are nodding off to sleep in front of the people across the table. Very, very bad for your uh, professional and other reputation, of course. So it's important that one keeps up and uh, does what ha- what one has to do to, you know, be in line with whichever destination you go. Because it is a huge uh, uh, change of uh, time zone. And the thing is, you can fall prey to that if you are not careful. Why are you there? I seem to have lost you. Yeah, but you know what happened? I was getting into the cableway. Yeah. I, no, I went into the cableway and I lost the uh, link there. <laughs> hmm. I'm talking about Cape Town. Uh, the Table Mountain Aerial Cable welcomes uh, visitors. Number 31 million since it began operations in 1929. And then you're looking at Cape Town. You're looking at the Western Cape. It's being captured by you, you know who, ba? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, look, uh, 31 million visitor, of course, since 1929. That's uh, quite an honored uh, guest that was, and her name was Herda Pretorius, all the way from Bluefontein. And, uh, of course, uh, the couple, her husband as well, received a special gift hamper during their visit. And uh, basically a two-day Cape Town trip expressed their joy at revisiting the mountain <clears throat> after over 30 years, coinciding with the Herda's 69th birthday on January 24th. And uh, Wahida Parker, who is the managing director of the uh, aerial cableway at Table Mountain, called this a thrilling opportunity. And she expressed gratitude to the millions who have experienced the cableway over nine decades. And uh, this was opening in 1929 with a wooden car holding 19 passengers. And today's upgraded system features advanced cable cars carrying up to 65 passengers to the 704-meter-high summit in just four to five minutes. And uh, uh, Wahida highlighted the cableway's role in providing uh, passage up to the mountain with the breathtaking 360-degree vistas of Cape Town and its uh, surrounds. And uh, anyone who has the pleasure or the opportunity of going up there will, will vouch for it that this has to be uh, one of the, if not the most and the fairest of capes. And I uh, originally believed this uh, trip took 10 minutes. So it was a very slow procedure. And uh, I think with uh, being a wooden car, perhaps being creaky and rickety from time to time. So it was quite a daunting ride. And uh, of course, uh, the advancement of technology has significantly uh, improved these times. and. Uh, in December of last year alone, they sold approximately 100,000 cable car tickets. That uh, sort of underscores the popularity of this uh, attraction. <clears throat> and uh, on this occasion, uh, they were showcasing the evolution from a modest wooden car again down to what it is today. And of course, visitors continue to flock to this iconic attraction. And this is something that's always there and it is the mainstay of uh, Cape Town's natural beauty and, of course, uh, attraction 
for travelers the world over. Yeah, absolutely, Bar. You know, you're already flowing, and I think you're flowing, and the other one should be glowing. But uh, yeah, I don't know which topic to choose. You got a choice here to end off the show with. Are you going for the, uh, you know, the uh, five bespoken African destinations, or are you going for your Boeing uh, hit by no, a new let's blow? Let's go for the Boeing. Seeing that they're so full of crap, you know, let's go for them. All right, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, <laughs> Boeing hit a new low after recent mid-flight uh, scare, right? And uh, of course, uh, this is to do with the 737 aircraft, right? And it faces a new challenge as Panamanian carrier Copa Airline grounds 21 of their Boeing 737 MAX 9s following a mid-flight scare. And the FAA mandated immediate inspections for certain of those aircraft after a mid-air emergency on an Alaskan Airlines uh, flight previously, where a sealed overdoor panel detached itself in flight at about 16,000 feet. Now <laughs> that gets a bit scary because at 16,000 feet, for those who don't know, is that uh, the cabin is still pressurized, of course. And uh, if there's a, a opening in anywhere in the fuselage, everything starts getting sucked out of there until you come down below 15,000 feet, then it's okay. But uh, that one on Alaska Airlines prompted an emergency landing. And although that incident caused no serious injuries, uh, the FAA ordered the grounding of 171 planes for inspection. Now that was history. Now the latest setback, this is what I'm talking about, the Panamanian carrier, uh, it just adds to Boeing recent uh, woes and troubles. And uh, this includes uh, the 737 MAX crashes, one of which was at uh, Ethiopian Airlines. That was because the flight control system, uh, all electronic fly-by-wire wasn't working well. Crashes in 2018 and 19. <clears throat> and this, get this, led to a nearly two-year global grounding of those aircraft. And of course, you know what happens then, eh? You lose money like you can't imagine. And uh, of course, Boeing tried to patch the issues up and uh, with uh, varying degrees of success. And they also faced issues with this long haul 787 delivery due to manufacturing and inspection flaws. And last autumn, defects were found in the 737 MAX's rear bulkhead. And in December, a risk of bolts coming loose in the navigation system imagine. Uh, imagine this kind of, of, of flaws in the system, bar, and this is happening mm. to the world-class uh, uh, manufacturer. And those uh, systems emerged, uh, right, in the navigation system, those problems emerged. Now, this recent incident involves a mid-cabin door plug uh, detaching during flight. And, uh, of course, uh, this triggered uh, investigations and things like that. And, of course, they will always want to downplay it and minimize and trivialize everything, right? So one of the aeronautic specialists emphasizes that uh, the FAA's relatively short inspection time of between four to eight hours indicates confidence in resolving this issue promptly. And uh, while the investigations are ongoing, they believe that the current issue is isolated and not indicative of a design flaw or a systemic problem. And they expect uh, to return to normal within the week. Now, what has happened here, Bar, just to give you some uh, perspective, is that uh, when COVID hit, they laid off thousands, tens of thousands of their uh, workforce. Now, you don't buy experience overnight. And uh, a lot of those that uh, were working for Boeing, engineers and whatnot uh, on the assembly line, they went and found jobs in other 
related uh, industry or with other uh, uh, carriers and things like that. So they have taken on uh, new uh, personnel to do the job. And I think uh, it's showing up in this. The lack of experience that comes with time is not there anymore. And I'm not sure who they're hiring, whether they are still hiring Americans or they are hiring uh, cheaper labor that's coming in from outside. I think they know better. But uh, it's a question, it's a simple thing, but the checks and balances are not there in their place. The skills are lacking. And uh, if you can put it uh, more kindly, you'd think that they are on a learning curve insofar as uh, trying to uh, get uh, things down, uh, you know, to a fine art and a level of sophistication and professionalism that should be, uh, you know, the hallmark of every of any uh, aircraft manufacturer because you're playing with lives there, up in the air and something goes wrong you've got very little chance of survival. So, uh, yeah, that's the trouble with Boeing right now. So uh, I hope for the industry and for the uh, hapless passengers that they manage to get something right now. Absolutely, Brian. Jazakallah khaira for giving us uh, another classical edition of Travel Express with Ibrahim Vadachia. Ba, your parting words this evening? <clears throat> yeah, let me leave you with this, Ba. Uh, appreciate those who love you, firstly. Help those who need you, forgive those who hurt you, and last of all, forget those who leave you. So let me leave you with that part. And our listeners, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure being with you on the show, and of course our listeners out there. I thank you for the opportunity, and I hope I managed to add value to your lives. Absolutely, Ba, you did, and have a blessed evening indeed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A big uh, jazakallah and thank you to Lukolo there for Top Tech uh, this uh, evening. Keep it locked on to Marka Sahaba for beautiful programming from the team and I till we meet you again. We bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.